I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your host, Greg Scordis, filling in for Boyd today. It's 2.06. And we are a year almost into the current administration. Uh, We have, as we all know, midterm elections coming up in 2022, meaning that sometime between now and the end of next year, we may have a different division, a different uh, makeup of both our House and Senate. So what can the Democrats do in the next year? Well, certainly um, since uh, President Biden took office in January, his party has managed to pass a few pieces of legislation. But a number of his priorities are still on the table. And uh, given that midterms are coming up, what would be their priorities? What would be the Democrats' priorities for the next year? Um, Certainly voting rights legislation is a big priority for Democrats going into 2022. Um, Inside Sources recently sat down with Washington Post columnist Greg Sargent, who says that Democrats are split on whether or not they think the voting rights bill can pass next year, especially because of concerns from certain senators, including Joe Manchin and Christine and Kirsten Cinema. There's a bit of a schism here. On voting rights, there's actually a lot more gloom, particularly among progressives and liberals, because they think that there's any conceivable chance that Manchin and Cinema allow a filibuster carve out to pass uh, the voting rights and democracy protection legislation. But interestingly enough, I'm told by people not to give up on Manchin entirely on this front. So here you have a great deal of despair among people who are watching this all unfold from the outside, but some of the insiders are saying, don't really give up quite yet. He may get there. I'm extremely skeptical, but I wouldn't rule it out. The package of of reforms that he has come around to supporting is actually pretty good. It does a lot of things. It curbs gerrymandering. It sets standards to prevent uh, onerous voter suppression. And it even has some measures against election subversion in there. So if Manchin were to be willing to carve out the filibuster to support the package that he himself supports, we'd actually make real progress. I just don't know if he'll be willing to do that. And we've certainly seen in response to the uh, 2020 election, several states enact legislation which uh, some would say restricts access to the polls by certain voters. Uh, Can Democrats get together 
can Congress get together? Can the Senate get together sometime this year to prevent that from happening? Or is it something we need to look at uh, the way we've done reform in the past? Uh, inside sources talked to Washington Post political columnist Greg Sargent, uh, who we just heard from. Uh, he had a different uh, take on how we can approach that going forward. I really want to focus people on on thinking about reform in a way that we saw after Watergate. Donald Trump and his movement and the effort to overturn the election and the kind of bottomless corruption we saw from Trump for, for years, uh, including the effort to manipulate the Department of Justice into helping him subvert the, the 2020 election and his extensive self-dealing, uh, all those things revealed multiple weak points and vulnerabilities in our system. And those need reform. They need to be addressed. And there are proposals out there. This is not something people know, but there are proposals to deal with these problems that would really patch up a lot of the holes that Donald Trump revealed. Um, Inside Sources asked him about other um, things on the Democratic list, other things that Democrats should focus on in the year while they still uh, have some semblance of control. And here's what he said. I would like to see more discussion among Democrats of reforming what's called the Electoral Count Act, which governs how Congress counts uh, the elect presidential electors, because I think that would be a very good way to prevent a rerun of a January 6th-style scheme like the one Trump undertook. There are also other reforms that have passed the House that would, that would, uh, that, that would make presidential corruption a lot harder. They're called the Protecting Our Democracy Act. Uh, Greg Sargent is an opinion columnist with The Washington Post. He's obviously also a progressive Democrat. Some other things that Democrats may want to look at in the next year uh, while they're in power that can consider some legislation include a, a revisitation of the minimum wage. Uh, Biden has promoted a plan to increase the federal minimum wage for all workers across the country from its current $7.25 an hour to $15 an hour. Uh, the federal minimum wage has not been increased for more than a decade, although several states and some cities have uh, done their own. Um, the Biden administration, I think, has some time now to look at that and see if, in fact, the country's ready to expand the minimum wage. Gun control. Um, we've had a steady news feed of mass shootings and other instances of gun violence, and that's prompted demonstrations, calls for tighter weapons restrictions, and Biden has referred to gun violence as a, quote, epidemic in the U.S. According to a nonprofit gun violence archive, which tracks instances of gun violence, gun-linked injuries and deaths have been on the rise for the past two years amid the pandemic. More than 43,000 deaths so far in 2021 have been attributed to guns, including suicides, according to that. Um, the House has advanced some legislation that would require a more thorough background checks to purchase firearms, but it hasn't gained any traction in the Senate, and it doesn't have enough Republican votes to pass. Gun reform... That's a tough subject and one that's very near and dear to a lot of people. Police reform, another subject that is on the Democratic table right now, something that they may want to look at. Uh, Democrats have looked at this in response to the George Floyd killing uh, while in the custody of a Minneapolis police officer, uh, Derek Chauvin, uh, his conviction. Uh, What does that mean for law enforcement 
use of force, uh, use of deadly force, uh, requires some training on racial profiling, implicit bias, other measures. And we've seen some of that here in Utah, and and, uh, even the Trump administration started that ball rolling down. I've found uh, in my dealings with police that they like some of this reform, and in fact, it's probably going to be a good thing. LGBTQ protections. House Democrats unanimously agreed to a measure early this year aimed to extend federal equal rights protections under the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people. But that has also stalled in the Senate, like a lot of other Democratic priorities, uh, just unable to get the support that it needs from Republicans to uh, uh, to. to to take off with that. Um, President Biden certainly hit, chimed in on that, and he's he seems very much in favor of that. Uh, we'll see whether or not those type of issues are going anywhere. And finally, health care. Uh, Democrats have tried to pass several health care measures dry, aimed at driving down costs for patients and bolstering the Federal Affordable Care Act. Um, some progressive lawmakers like Bernie Sanders and others um, have pushed for a Medicare for all alternative proposal. <laughs> That's probably not going anywhere. Uh, it's not going to get very far with Congress, especially with a 50-50 split in the Senate. But um, is there something that can be done to salvage uh, the Affordable Care Act um, and and maybe maybe expand it a little bit. I mean, I think some people find that it's been very good. Some people have really shown some concern over what happened four years ago when, in fact, uh, they were trying to get rid of Obamacare or whatever we wanted to call it at the time and uh, tried to make it appear that the progressive Democrats were pushing for socialized medicine. That was a message that uh, resonated with a lot of people and scared some people into thinking that um, that in fact uh, uh, Affordable Care Act uh, maybe had gone about as far as it was, it was going to go. Uh, we're almost out of time, but the Democrats also need to address immigration. I don't know whether they're going to be able to do anything in the next year uh, to address that or not, but that's something that's been on Biden's agenda from day one. Whether he can do something in the next year while he's still got power, while he's still got both houses uh, lining up with him remains to be seen. It's certainly going to be an interesting year for Democrats. And the Democrats blame a lot of their inability to pass major pieces of legislation like the Voting Rights Act and Build Back Better, uh, minimum wage, some of the other things we talked about in the last segment on the filibuster. Um, the filibuster is a word that we haven't really used in our in our lexicon for years, but boy, it's come out big now. And part of the idea, I think, behind the filibuster, and I think it was a, probably a good concept, was that you've got to get both sides to play ball. You can't just have a simple majority of Democrats or a simple majority of Republicans and, and sort of take over the, the legislative process. You've got to get a little love from the other side. And... Um, but what that's done recently with this, with the real division that we have in this country is made it so that neither party can get anything accomplished. When, in our last segment, we um, were interviewing uh, Greg Sargent, um, opinion columnist for The Washington Post. He told uh, inside sources recently what he, that he believes the filibuster is the reason Democrats can't pass 
many of their priorities. The filibuster is the problem. If, if we didn't have the filibuster, we could pass all those reforms. We could see those reforms all get passed by the Senate. It would be like a post-Watergate moment where a lot of reform was done in response to revelations of serious holes in our system, similar to those that we saw during Watergate. We could also certainly do that by going to the ballot box and voting for people who are willing to compromise, who are willing to work with one another. And we can blame Democrats, we can blame Republicans, but we are simply not seeing that in this country right now, um, where you you where we look at voting and it's almost always along party lines. It shouldn't be that way. Um, uh, Greg Sargent uh, believes that Senator Manchin and maybe Senator uh, Kristen Cinema from Arizona are the only Democrats who currently want to keep the filibuster as is. My take is maybe it's not such a bad idea, but it's certainly not working the way it should be. But here's what he said. A lot of people seem to think a lot of seasoned observers believe that it's not just Manchin, that there are a fair amount or maybe a few or more than a few moderate senators who a, don't want to end the filibuster, and B, maybe aren't quite there on Build Back Better. I still tend to think that at the end of the day, Manchin is the ultimate obstacle. On either one of these fronts, if he were willing to end the filibuster to pass voting rights and democracy protections, I think all 50 Democratic senators would be there. If he were willing to support uh, Build Back Better, I think all 50 Democrats would be there, including cinema, by the way, on both these things. Although on the filibuster, it's a little hard to tell. But I still tend to think that ultimately it really comes down to Manchin. And of course, we've seen uh, Manchin just recently over the last weekend indicate that he is absolutely not in favor of Build Back Better, especially as it currently sits. And uh, it seems like a few other senators are following in line with that. We'll see how that goes. Um Greg Sargent also pointed out that some moderate Democrats are starting to change their tune when it comes to the filibuster. During the last few months, a number of moderate senators, such as King and also John Tester in Montana and a few others, uh, who had previously been pretty adamant about uh, not uh, ending the filibuster, have actually come around to the position that they'd be willing to do a carve-out or some set of reforms. He mentioned Senator Angus King, an independent from Maine, uh, as a person who has uh, – he describes as a moderate senator who uh, have previously been sort of adamant about not ending the filibuster but have come at, to come around to saying, well, maybe in some, cer- some certain circumstances we should carve out some reforms. Uh, earlier this year, Senator King uh, was interviewed by NBC News, and he did suggest – Uh, some potential reforms for the filibuster. I'm not really ready to say let's get rid of it altogether because I think there are circumstances where it makes sense. Uh, So I I prefer some uh, alternative uh, to what the present rule is. I'd like to restore the Senate to what it was, where we actually had debates and people had to hold the floor. And uh, so I think some kind of talking filibuster Perhaps a rule that instead of having to have 60 votes to pass something, you'd have to have 41 votes to stop it. So that way, the minority would at least have to show up. One of the problems now is uh, they don't even have to show up. They don't have to speak. They don't have to do anything. It just sort of becomes an automatic supermajority requirement, which isn't in the Constitution.
interesting logic and and we talked about this yesterday with one of our one of our guests the fact that maybe the vote maybe the votes on the senate floor maybe the vote on the house floor needs to be more transparent we need the public to see how they're voting you can't just say well um this isn't going to pass because you're never going to get the votes uh and so we don't even take it to the floor put put these people put their put their money where their mouth is and let's let's put the votes on let's put build back better on the table uh, president biden if you think it's such a good idea let's see where it goes and let those who are going to vote against it do so in a public setting uh where their constituents can say okay I will remember that at the next election cycle, whether I support you or don't support you. I will remember how you voted on that particular issue instead of saying, well, it's a lost cause anyway, because with the filibuster, we're never going to get there. Heck yes, Bernie Sanders. Let's put people on the let's put people on their their word and um, and see where it goes. Uh, President Biden certainly had his take on it as well. The only thing standing between getting voting rights legislation passed and not getting passed as a filibuster. I support making an exception of voting rights for the filibuster. So um, I, I, I think that this really lends itself to an interesting debate, and that is, should we carve out some exceptions to the filibuster? Are there certain issues that are so important that, in fact, we should have the the matters heard by the House, that we should have those matters heard by the Senate, and that uh, a 50-50 split in the Senate is not going to, is or a 51-49 is not going to kill such important legislation. Maybe um, maybe we can relook at the filibuster. It's something that I just haven't you know, considered until recently, because it seems like we we do move legislation down. We, you know, we looked at post Watergate. We looked at post nine eleven. We got together as a country, and we recognized that things needed to be done. Nowadays, and and I blame both parties equally. We can't get that done because people are too beholden to their for their particular party and their particular constituents. So, and the filibuster. Which had a which which is a good idea to say. Look, you know, we we do want to hear from the minority party. We do need to make sure that there are members of that party who are supporting this legislation. But what it's in effect done is made it so you can't pass anything, and Republicans can simply not show up, and legislation will fail because the Democrats can't get their sixty vote threshold, which is required by the filibuster. So we'll see where that goes. I mean, interesting subject. And and I think that a lot of Americans, myself included, may not fully appreciate what the idea of the filibuster is or how it's how it was set up or why it's there. Um, And be careful what you ask for, because Democrats might say the, the filibuster is a mess. We need to get rid of it. And suddenly, a year from now, maybe November of 2022, they are no longer the party uh, in power, and they'll be wishing that we still had the filibuster. So uh, we'll see where that goes. Um, it's certainly been a problem. I think most Americans agree that the filibuster is not working and needs to be relooked at. When we come back, uh, we are going to the Rose Bowl, and we're going to talk to KSL News Radio's Mitch Harper about that BYU. And the jazz. Stay tuned. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. 
I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.